Okay, I, uh, I'm excited about today. I always love communion, and I love how we try to make sure we have a, uh, you know, a relaxed environment, because when we're doing communion, it seems like over the years it's gotten so solemn. And when you read about it in the scriptures, they were reclining at the table, enjoying each other's presence. It wasn't supposed to be solemn. It was supposed to be they were celebrating what was coming, and we celebrate what's already happened. So I, I love communion. It was an honor to take it with you today. Uh, but before we get started, if you just bow your heads with me. God, we thank you so much for all that you do. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We just thank you for everything that you do. And we just pray, God, today as we come before you, we've already celebrated that you are the lamb that was slain to give us eternal life free of charge. And we thank you for that. And we just pray as we study your word that you would open our hearts and minds, cleanse us of our sin, let us receive your word and apply it to our lives in a way that's pleasing to you. We just thank you so much for the opportunity to worship you one more time. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to continue on in our study of the book of Matthew. Um, we've been in it for some time, and we will be here for some time. Uh, but we have broken this book down. We're still going to teach it verse by verse and chapter by chapter. But we have broken it down into uh, several sub-series. The reason being, we'd like to cover all the subject matter uh, more accurately, and it, this gives us the opportunity to do that by breaking it down into sub-series. Uh, and we are currently in a series called Starting Point, which is actually a very good name for this series because this is the time when Jesus was sending his disciples out to start this new ministry. See, they were, everyone was used to the, to the legalism and the religion and the judgmental you know, priests that were lording over them, and, and Jesus has started this ministry based on grace and love, and it was so powerful. And this is when he was sending them out. Uh, so the last three weeks, we've kind of been looking at the Jewish leaders and their legalistic mindset and their religious mindset. But this week, we're going to shift gears a little bit, I mean, just a little bit, because we're going to talk about how uh, you can't hide your true character. You can't hide what's actually going on in your heart. Now, the title of today's message is A Telltale Heart. I might have stole that. Uh, but today we're going to see that, uh, that our words and our actions reveal our character. So let's go ahead and t jump right into this. It's Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 33. Now, I love this section of Scripture because there's a lot of people who misuse this, and we're going to get to straighten some of that out. So Matthew 12, 33, Jesus says, A tree is identified by what? Its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. So like I said, this verse and several like it when he uses this illustration of the fruit and the tree, uh, is often taught way, way out of context. And what context means is there is a direction to every chapter and every verse. Okay, uh, if you open up the newspaper to the sports section, what would be the context of that section? Sports. You're not going to open up the sports section and hope to read about ballet, right? It's probably not going to be in there, I hope. But, um, so... The context is very important. Context determines meaning, and this is often taught way out of context, and sometimes intentionally, because people misrepresent this to, to make their own arguments, but a lot of people love to use these verses as their justification for judging other people. Okay, I don't know if any of you have ever heard this, but I've heard people say ridiculous things about judging other people and actually use the fruit and the tree illustration, right? Okay, I mean, I've heard him say things like, now tell me, I don't know if you guys have ever heard this, uh, but people say, well, I know we're not allowed to judge people, but, and whenever you hear that word, prepare. But we can be fruit inspectors. And I'm like, uh. <laughs> you know, that, 
that is not what it, you're basically saying we can't judge people but we can judge people you know it's it's totally way out of context and what they're saying when they say that is if you don't do what we think is godly we will say that your fruit is not good therefore we can judge you and this text was not designed for that jesus didn't give us this text to help us find justification for judging other people especially judging someone's eternal life Okay, we, we don't have the right to do that. What Jesus wanted to illustrate here was how our words and our actions can reveal our hearts, right? And mainly, the person that it should reveal it to the most is the person who experiences it the most, who hears it the most, who sees it the most, which would be, thank you for the dead silence there, I appreciate that. Who would it be? Ourselves. If one of you said, Pastor Chris, it was going to be on. I'm just saying. But anyway, it, it should reveal, especially to us, the condition of our hearts. So let's take a look at what this meant in the real context. See, this statement was directed at the self-righteous Jewish leaders. Okay, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. It was directed at them. See, they claimed to be the most righteous of everyone. All right, I mean, they were happy to claim they were the most righteous of everyone. They said that they loved God more than everyone. They said that they kept his law more than everyone. So this, this was directed right at them because they claimed to be righteous. They claimed to love God, but their words and their actions didn't show it. The way they treated people, the way they judged people, their legalism, it just didn't show that they were righteous. It didn't show that they loved God and loved his people. So Jesus wanted to get their heads right. He wanted them to understand. He wanted them to see for themselves what they'd become. Right? Think about it. Over the last few weeks, we saw that Jesus taught them the flaw in their teachings on the Sabbath. He had to correct them on that. Remember when we talked about that? Then he talked to them about how they didn't understand exorcisms and, and who can cast out who. Remember we talked about that? So he's been slowly correcting all their false teaching. Right? So the context here is false teaching and the origin of our words and our actions, or of their words and their actions. That's the context. Now, now that we know the context, let's take a look at this and see what it really means. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 34. He says, you what? Brood of snakes. See, he likes to start off gentle. Work his way in easy. You know, he says, you brood of snakes. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart, determines what you say okay listen to that for whatever is in your heart determines what you say a good person produces good things from the treasury of their heart we'll talk about that later and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart okay now first of all let's take a look at this first of all you can see how frustrated in these passages jesus really was with these legalistic jews his frustration came out in his first sentence. You brood of vipers, or you brood of snakes. Now, I want you to understand what he's really saying here. The word brood, anybody here know what that means, brood? Nobody? Okay, the Greek word is genema, and what it means is offspring. Offspring, okay? So Jesus was actually calling them the offspring of snakes, he calls them the offspring of snakes. Now, now, now think about it. This was a huge insult. Because these Jewish leaders love to say, we are Abraham's offspring. 
We are God's chosen people. We are Abraham's offspring. But see, their words and their teachings and their actions didn't line up with Abraham's. It was actually the total opposite. Now, in the Gospel of John, Jesus explains this a little bit further. John uh, chapter 8, starting in verse 39. Our father is Abraham, they declared. This is the Jewish leaders talking to him. No, Jesus replied, for if you, really, if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you are trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father. Okay, this is where it gets hairy. You are imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, what? The devil. (laughs) Ouch. Okay. You are the children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Wow! I mean, he says, you are not Abraham's descendants, maybe by blood. But if you were spiritually the descendant of Abraham, if you really followed what Abraham was trying to teach, the man called the father of faith, if you really were following him, if you really were his offspring, you would have recognized me, you would have believed in me, and you wouldn't be trying to kill me and throw me in jail at every turn. So you are a brood of snakes. You are the offspring of snakes. Now let's take a look at that for just a second. What was the creature that Satan spoke to Adam and Eve through? Right? A serpent. Right? This is, what he, this is what he spoke to him through. Right? So, this is huge. When Jesus said, you're offspring of snakes, he's literally saying you're the children of the devil. Of the devil. Did I say devil? Of the devil. Of the devil. He's saying you are children of the devil. I mean, that, that's huge. Can you imagine? Can you even imagine how that went over? The people who claim to be the most righteous of all, and he looks at them and says, righteous, you're not righteous, you're a child of Satan. (laughs) Man, I mean, you guys get mad at me for saying I'm too blunt. I mean, listen to this, you are children of Satan, basically. Now, it's kind of interesting, there's more to this this comparison between, you know, Jesus and the serpent, or Jesus, uh, Satan and the serpent. There's more more to this I want to take a look at. So just some food for thought, okay, how, how much Satan is like the serpent. But snakes are deceptively dangerous. How many people here are afraid of snakes? How many people here are girly afraid of snakes? I mean, scream, jump, run, throw a child in front of you. (laughs) This is terrible, but I'm going to admit it anyway. When we were building this stage, Bryce, who's probably listening, so he's going to probably call me later, but Bryce was helping us build this, and he has a, I mean, he's the girly, throw a child in front of you, scared of snakes. And so when the floor was half built, I took a long rubber snake and I put it way back inside there. And I said, hey, Bryce, I dropped something in there, which was not a lie. I dropped a snake in there. I said, would you reach in there and get it for me? And he goes, yeah. I said, just feel around for it. He reached in. He goes, I got something. He pulled it out. 
and he screamed and jumped and threw it, and I was just rolling, laughing, until I saw the look on his face. Then I was rolling, running. <laughs> but, you know, snakes are deceptive, and, and they're dangerous, right? I mean, and the reason is, is they're hard to see until you're right on them. You ever notice that? Usually you're right over a snake before you even notice that you're close to it. I mean, it, it, it's spooky how, how sneaky they are, right? So if you're not careful, and if you don't pay attention, by the time you see them, you're bit. Okay, by the time you see them, you're bit. I remember one time when I was in Ohio, I was walking, and a friend of mine said, stop. And I go, what? He goes, don't move a muscle. And I'm like, what is your deal? And he goes, don't move, you're standing on a copperhead. And I looked down, and I had stepped right behind its neck. Its head was sticking out one side. I'm not kidding you. And I'm not really afraid of snakes. I am spiders, terribly, girly afraid of spiders and sunflowers, long story. But anyway, <laughs> but long story. But I didn't even see it till I was on it. I mean, I could have been bitten. It's just, it's just it was that, that close. That, that, that's scary. If you think about it, Satan sneaks up on us too, doesn't he? He sneaks up on us. We don't even realize that he's deceiving us until we're so close that we're bitten and it's already starting to destroy us. And his venom is sin. You know, and we, we walk right into his lair. We don't know he's there. Uh, we have this false sense of security. The next thing you know, we're bit. The next thing you know, it's starting to destroy our lives, right? But the cool thing about snakes is that their color will tell you if they're venomous. Did you know that? You can tell, a lot of people go, is it venomous? I'm like, you check it out, I'm over here, you know what I mean? But, oh, if it's this color, if you look close to its eyes, I'm like, yeah, not going to happen. But their color on the outside will tell you if they're venomous on the inside, right? So if you live in an area where there's a lot of snakes, it'd probably be wise to understand which color is poisonous and which is not in case you stumble upon one, right? Well, the same, the same is true with the devil. Listen, if you want to avoid being bit by him, Learn to identify him. Learn to identify what good is, what the word of God says, what righteousness is. I'm not talking about religion and all the goofy stuff that churches come up with. I'm talking about the word of God. I'm talking about understanding when you're being misled and when you're being told the truth so that when you just happen to walk upon him, you can identify him. Listen, you can't be deceived with a lie if you know the truth. You know what I mean? So just some, just some food for thought there. Okay, so the next thing Jesus did is he moves on to explain the illustration of the tree and the fruit. See, the easiest way to identify a tree is by its fruit. First of all, you can tell if it's a good fruit tree because if the fruit's good, it produces... Anybody ever have an apple tree that has big, beautiful apples and they taste like chalk and bitter when you bite into them? You know what I mean? Uh, listen, it's an apple tree. There's apples on it. You take a bite of it and you go, ugh, not a good one, right? That's one way to identify whether a fruit tree is good or bad. The other thing you can identify is you can identify what kind of tree it is because if it has pears on it, I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say it's what kind of tree? A pear tree, right? So you can identify a tree by its fruit, whether it's good or bad or what kind it is, right? Now, Jesus said you can also, in the same way, identify the content of your heart. And when the Bible says your heart, it's not talking about the organ that pumps blood through your body. It's talking about your consciousness, your mind. Your inner being. That's what it's talking about. So when I say that, I want you to know what I'm talking about. But Jesus is saying that you can identify the content of your heart the same way. Basically, by paying careful attention to your words and to your works. 
Because your, your words and your works will reveal what's in your heart, what's going on inside here. Notice it said the treasury of their heart. Remember when it said that in the first uh, second verse, I think it was that we're looking at. So what that means is you can tell what's valuable to you by what comes out of your mouth and what you do. It's just revealing what's going on inside. So our words and our actions reveal what's truly valuable to each of us, right? And it's really important that we pay attention to that because you can use the same method, the tree and the fruit method, to identify whether there's a good or a bad teacher. See, Jesus wanted people to know the truth so they could identify false teachers. We need to be careful about that. Listen, in our day and age, there is a lot of bad, bad teachings out there. There are people that are clouding up the gospel, adding things to it, confusing people. And the best way to know you're never going to be deceived by a bad teacher is to know the truth. Right? If a teacher is teaching what they can prove in the word of God. I always tell you, and I've told you, I've been your pastor for 20 years. Right? And I've always said, check me. Everything I say, every verse I give you, check it. Check everything I say. Don't take it as the gospel truth just because it comes out of my mouth. Check me. Every time. And if what I say lines up with the word of God, then I am teaching truth and my teaching is good. If what I say does not line up with the word of God or contradicts the word of God, then I'm teaching a lie. But the only way to know that is to know the word of God. And so Jesus was saying to the, to the Pharisees and to the Jewish leaders, listen, look at what comes out of your mouth. Look at the things you do. It tells us what's in your heart. It should tell you that there's something wrong. And to the people standing by, he's wanting them to know, listen, pay attention to what's coming out of their mouth. Pay attention to what they're teaching you. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, it should tell you what's in their heart. This is what he was trying to say. If they were teaching falsely, like the Pharisees, then they weren't good teachers. They weren't a good tree. This is what he was trying to talk about. All right, now this is so important because this is also a warning to all of us that it's impossible to hide the content of your heart. Did you know that? Eventually, it will come out. Eventually, what's important to you or what's valuable to you will show itself. Okay, it will eventually come out. And it's either going to manifest itself in words or actions, but I promise you, it will be revealed. And I'll bet you've noticed this if you pay attention. If you pay attention to people's words and actions, is it hard to define that person who's bitter? Have you ever known somebody for maybe five minutes and you go, wow, that person's bitter? It tells you that they have bitterness in their heart because they're constantly negative. They're the devil's advocate. They have a terrible worldview. They just, you can tell something or someone has hurt them deeply. You ever met the angry person? Anybody here ever met the angry person? Point at them. No, don't do that. Don't do that. No. I, there's people that maybe went through a bad divorce and they, and they hate marriage and they hate women and they hate, or they hate men. And, and you talk to them and you're like, oh my gosh. You can tell that they're bitter and angry inside and their words reveal what's in their hearts. Or greedy. You ever met the greedy person? You can just be around them for 10 minutes and know that their love is money. You ever been around that person? Frustrating, right? They always want you to know that they're doing well and going to do better, right? The greedy person, you can tell that's in their heart. How about the jealous person? Is it easy to tell who's jealous? They can't hide it. They can't hide it because it manifests itself in their words and in their actions. 
Have you ever noticed this, that even sometimes how people joke will tell you what's in their heart? Because sometimes a joke is just a light way of saying something mean. You ever notice that? Like they'll say, well, some of us actually work for a living. You ever hear that one? (laughs) Cracks me up. I could preach on that, but let me back off that. Or they say things like, you know, you can tell that they're jealous by the way they joke because you get something nice and they go, well, I'm a little focused more right now on supporting the things of God than buying toys for myself. And I'm going, shut it. You know what I mean? Even the way they joke, you know, it's our heart is always going to be revealed by what we say, by what we do. It's always going to be revealed. So if you're struggling with an issue, probably the easiest way to know that it's gone too far is start to listen to yourself. Pay attention to what you do and what you say and identify what's going on in your heart because it's going to come out of your mouth and fix it. It's actually our, our heart's subtle warning that something is wrong because what you do and what you say is all reflecting what's going on in here and what you do and what you say isn't good. If you're always angry at people, if you're always gossiping about people, you're always trying to take other people down. That's your heart's way of saying something is wrong. Pay attention. These verses were not designed to teach you, other than identifying false teachers, they weren't designed to give you a reason to judge others. But I'll tell you one thing they were designed to do was to let you know when something's wrong in here because it will come out. It will come out. So pay careful attention to that and fix it. When you start to notice that, that your actions and your words contradict who you say you are something's wrong your heart is revealing to you that something's wrong the fruit that you're producing is revealing to you that something's wrong fix it because if you see it it won't be long until what everybody else sees it it's gonna happen so really really powerful let's move on matthew 12 36 jesus said and i tell you this you must give an account on judgment day for every what Idle idle word you speak Every idle word you speak. Does that make you think a little bit about how you speak? Because you're going to give an answer for it, right? Verse 37, the words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. Okay, this is huge. This statement often confuses people. But again, remember the context, right? So if your words reveal your heart and your mind, which basically means if your words reveal your heart, means reveal your inner person, what's going on inside. If your words reveal that, then what's really going to be the thing that judges you is your heart, your inner person, what's going on inside. Right? That's what's going to judge you. The, the speaking at the action are just reflections of what's going on in here. Now, notice he said judgment day. Now, I want to make one thing clear. Everybody has a judgment day coming, believers and unbelievers alike. Okay, a lot of times people don't tell you that, but I think it's important you know that. Everyone has a judgment day coming. Everyone does. Believers and unbelievers. See, if you look, believers, when they come to their judgment, it's called the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, and I'll read a passage here about that, but they're not being judged about their eternal destination. The Bible says he who believes has what? Eternal life, which means eternal life is what it means. 
So it's not about heaven or hell for believers. It's about rewards. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. The Apostle Paul says, Because of God's grace to me, I have laid a foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. So what's the foundation? Jesus Christ. So who can build on the foundation of Jesus Christ? Believers. Only believers have the foundation of Jesus Christ, okay? Anyone who builds on that foundation must use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. Now, don't be scared about fire. 90% of the time when you hear about fire in the New Testament, it's talking about judgment or purification. It's not talking about hell. That's what everybody thinks immediately. Fire, hail, you know, it's not what it's talking about. I, I got southern there really quick, didn't I? Verse 13, but on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive what? A reward. But if the work is burned up, that builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So what he's saying is, listen, we're being judged as to whether we can be, you know, have kingdom rewards the amount of kingdom rewards we will get. Also with believers, we have a judgment every day. God disciplines us when we do things we shouldn't do, right? But the judgment he's talking about here, someday we're going to be judged as to whether we can be rewarded in the kingdom. And and here's the thing is, is if all your motives were wrong, if you weren't doing things with the right heart, then we're going to suffer loss. We're still going to heaven. He's going to keep that, but, but we're going to suffer loss. Now, unbelievers on the other side, their, their, their judgment is called the great white throne of judgment. Okay, Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 11. It says, And I saw a great white throne, and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So unbelievers' judgment's a little more serious. Their judgment is, did, did you or did you not accept God's free grace and mercy? Okay, now a lot of people tell me, I don't understand how a good God, a loving God, can put someone in hell. Anybody ever hear that? Raise your hand if you've heard that. Okay. Let me clear one thing up for you. God doesn't put anybody in hell. It wasn't even designed for us. Okay? As a matter of fact, he said, I'm going to make it so easy to avoid that place that all they're going to have to do is believe. I'm going to give them the easiest possible gift. All they have to do is receive it. My son died for you. Do you believe that? I will receive that to myself, and you're out. The people at the great white throne, I can't even imagine when God says, I gave my son to die innocently for you so that all you had to do was believe so that you could miss this terrible place. So this judgment is because you refuse to believe. I didn't want you here. This is the other judgment. 
that he's talking about. But all those judgments, we're going to give an account for what was in our heart. If they refuse to believe, that means in their heart they rejected God. If you're a believer and don't do things with the right motives or do things the way God asks you to, then you're going to lose kingdom rewards. But we will give an account for every idle word, and we have a natural warning system. What's coming out of our mouth and our actions? Have you ever found yourself revealing your anger or bitterness or, or, or disgust or whatever it is and somebody says, what is your deal? Has anybody ever said that to you? You know what I mean? It comes out. You don't even realize it. My friends are really straight with me. I had a friend tell me one time, he goes, what is your deal? He said, you've been like a grouchy old woman for a week. <laughs> I go, well, tell me the easy way, why don't you? But it's true. I didn't even realize it, but I was upset by some things that I hadn't, couldn't figure out, and it was coming through my speech. And sometimes we just get distracted to the point we don't pay attention to what's going on ourselves. The Pharisees had, been, had, had gotten to that point. You would think they would realize everything that's coming out of my mouth is lifting me up and tearing everybody else down. You would think that, that when they saw the miracles of Jesus and refused to even, even consider them, something would say, warning, maybe we should check out if he fulfills all the prophecy. They were having a warning system going off, telling them something is wrong. We have that warning system going off inside of us all the time, and we don't pay attention to it. And, and it's frustrating because here's the problem is we spend so much time judging what everybody else says and does that we miss the warning that comes from what we say and do. Here's the deal. Don't pay attention to what everybody else says and does. Pay attention to what you are saying and what you are doing. Because what is coming out of your mouth and what you are doing will reveal what's going on in here. What's going on inside of you. It's a warning system built in to keep you from getting too far from God. It's going to be revealed. If you're filled with anger, if you're filled with jealousy. Listen, if you're that person always talking about somebody else, there's a warning system going off in you. That warning system saying you are losing the love of God. Something's wrong with you. You need to pray your way through it. There's a warning system going off in there. When you see that, when your words and your actions don't show that you're growing closer to Christ every day, then your heart is telling you something's wrong. Fix it before everyone else sees it too. Believers, we have one job here. To help God enlarge the borders of the kingdom with how we love people in our words and actions. If we're judging people and getting involved in stupid boycotts and, and constantly telling everybody what we don't like and, and what we hate rather than telling them what we love and what we want them to love, Christians sometimes are some of the most negative people. I hate to say this, but sometimes I just soon not be around them because they're always judging and, and, you know, raining hellfire down instead of raining a little love and grace down on a few people, you know? Listen, our job is to show the love of Christ is for, to speak the love of Christ. If our words and our actions aren't lining up with that, the warning system's going off. The fruit coming off our tree is saying something's wrong, right? And if you're an unbeliever, here's something you've got to pay attention to. Listen, no believer is better than an unbeliever. The difference between us is the grace of God. That's it. But if you find yourself being less and less concerned with what God thinks and more and more concerned with what people think, because God built into us this desire to worship him. And if you find yourself hard to that and getting harder to it, your heart is trying to tell you through your words and your actions you're getting farther away from the saving grace of God and you need to turn back. 
if it becomes easier and easier to accept your rejection of Christ, if you can laugh it off, your heart is warning you that something's wrong in here and you need to fix it. So, you know, to close this out and try to summarize this, the easiest thing I can say is, I think the best thing we can do is do what the Pharisees stop doing. And that is start paying attention to the fruit that's coming from us. Look at yourself as a tree. And if you want to be a fruit inspector, inspect your own fruit. What are you saying? What are you doing? What do what you say and do reveal about what's in here? And if you don't like the fruit you're picking up that's falling off your tree, you better change it in here. And the fruit will change too. You with me? Anybody ever notice the fruit starting to get a little spoiled in your life? Listen, make some changes before everyone else notices it too. I'm going to go ahead and close there. We'll pick up there next week. I'm going to ask you would to please bow your heads. If this is your first time, we always like to give a brief invitation, and here's why. We truly believe the Word of God is powerful and changes lives. I don't ask people to come up front and do all that stuff. I don't believe in those pressure tactics. Here's what I do believe in. If you're not sure where you stand with Christ, I remember being that person sitting in, in, in the pews, and I didn't know, I didn't understand the whole church and religion thing, and you know, I was 21, 22 years old, and, and my life was a wreck, and drugs and alcohol had taken over everything I had, and I just remember I needed something, and, and this pastor said, listen, I just want to pray for you if you're not sure where you stand, and, and the moment I lifted my hand and put it back down, it's like the Holy Spirit said, I knew, I knew that you could feel me calling you, and now you've admitted it, and I'm going to stay with you until you come to me. So I like to give people that opportunity. So while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you'd like me to pray for you, I'm not going to chase you down after church, not going to email you. I'm not going to, I'm just literally going to pray for you. Just make eye contact with me and put your head right back down or lift your hand, bless those people, and put it right back down. Bless those people, bless those people. I'm not going to point you out. And here's why. I, I just want to pray for you because I've been there. Bless those people. And if you're a believer, and lately you've noticed you don't like the fruit that's coming from your own tree. Your words have become more bitter. Your outlook has become more negative. Listen, if you notice it, the people you're trying to reach are probably noticing it too. I'm going to pray that, that you believe enough to surrender whatever it is that's hindering you to Christ so that when people see the fruit that comes from your tree, they'll see it's from God. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I thank you for your love and mercy. I still don't understand how you could love someone like me. There is nothing good about me, even now. I prove every day why we need your grace to make it to heaven because I constantly make mistakes. I am so thankful that your love and your grace is more powerful than my shortcomings and my sin. I praise you for the free gift of eternal life. And I just pray for someone here or listening online or watching online that doesn't know you. I just pray that whatever's been holding them back, that you remove that and let them just trust in the most simple and free gift you ever offered mankind. That's eternal life. If they can just believe that what your son did was enough to guarantee their eternal life, your word promises they'll have it. Sounds too good to be true. Sounds so easy, but 
It wasn't easy for Jesus. He paid the ultimate price. He suffered the pain so that it would be that easy for us because of his great love for us. I just pray they make that step. And if they do, I pray they contact us or contact a local church or a good Christian friend, just someone to help them begin their journey and walk with them in their journey. And God, for those of us who know you, it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to allow ourselves to start producing the kind of fruit that doesn't glorify you. Let us examine our own hearts. And if anything's hindering us from showing your love to other people, let us just get it out of our lives. Because when we speak, we want people to hear you. The things we do, we want people to see your hands at work. I just pray that you bless us to be the representatives you designed us to be. As we leave here today, God, I pray that you would keep us safe. Let us live what we profess every day. I pray, God, that, that each one of us has a passion and a desire to share your love with others. And if you don't return to take us home before we get the opportunity to come together and meet again, I just pray that we would come together excited, ready to give you praise and worship one more time because you are so worthy of it. We just thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.